Hello, everybody. Good to see you. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We're so glad you're streaming this morning, and we're, we're happy that you uh, joined in during this Memorial Day weekend. Um, for those of you that haven't uh, been following with us, we encourage you to grab a, uh, a copy of the notes for this morning's talk. You can go to the uh, church website, lifechurchmh.com. There's a uh, uh, video player, they call that. And uh, just hop over there and you can get a copy. Or you can go to Facebook, Life Church Facebook. There's a link in the comments section. And by all means, you can uh, follow along as well. So yeah, we're glad. We're glad you're you're tracking with us, uh, and you're fully aware that it's it's Memorial Day weekend as as we are. Uh, we go all the way back to May 1868 when it first started, uh, in memory of all the lost lives during the Civil War that uh, our country had. So. There's a letter that a, uh, a Union soldier wrote to his wife before a battle, and I think it uh, expresses mm, his passion, his love for country, along with his, the love that he had for his wife. And so listen to, to what he has to say, and I'm sure you'll agree that he had a heart for America and for his wife. Sullivan Ballou, this is his letter. My very dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write again, I feel compelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans on the triumph of the government, and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the Revolutionary War. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. And yet my love for country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly on with all these chains to the battlefield. The memories of all the blissful moments I have spent with you come creeping over me, and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I have enjoyed them so long. And how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you. And when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for me, for we shall meet again. Signed, Sullivan. Well, Major Ballou was killed one week after writing this letter in the Battle of Bull Run. 
you can get a taste and a flavor for his courage uh, looking forward to battle, but uh, expressing his love to his wife as well. So, I don't know how long it's been where you yourself have thought of being a soldier in the army of the Lord. Man, years ago, there were a couple songs that I can remember. One of them was Onward Christian Soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus, going on before. Man, I tell you, that was a powerful song. And another one, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Let me ask you, when was the last time you heard those songs in a church or anywhere? Hmm? It's probably been a while, hasn't it? it yeah, yeah. Uh, in a way, I think it's kind of sad that the church in America has kind of pulled away with that mindset that we are in a spiritual war. In fact, you're watching right now, and you need to be reminded, as I do, that there is a battle for your soul raging even right now. You have a soul that lives on forever. It cannot be destroyed. God made you with a soul because he wanted you to choose him so that you could live with him forever. But here's the deal. Because of that freedom to choose, you can reject that great love of God. And in doing so, God will give you what you have chosen, and that is to be eternally separated from this loving God. Yeah. And even right here, right now, today, on this Memorial Day weekend, God is pursuing you. Why? Because he loves you, and he wants to have that relationship with you. And finally, he wants you to be with him in heaven forever. So, if you've kind of dropped <laughs> the idea that you're not on a battlefield, but you think you're in a playground somewhere, uh, not true, not true. Uh, all you have to do is read your Bible and you're reminded, we're reminded of the fact that there is a battle raging for your soul. So today, we're going to take a look in the book of Luke, chapter 7. The first 10 verses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. So get your Bible, open it to Luke 7. Um, in your notes, you can, you can track along as well. And uh, we're going to kind of build a foundation on the message for today. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying to all, all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman soldier, who was called a centurion, was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. Why? Well, verse 5 tells us, for he loves the Jewish people, and he even built a synagogue for us. Verse 6, so Jesus went with them. And that's where we'll hit the pause button for now, but before we dig into the rest of the text in just a few moments. 
So before we do, let's talk to the Lord and invite him to um, speak to us as we open up his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Man, what a privilege it is to be able to read God's word. It's so, it, it is so cool to have a Bible, to hold it, to read it, obey it. Lord, thank you for that privilege we have in America to own and carry Bibles and to read them freely. Let's not take that for granted. And so as we talk about this Roman soldier, about you, Lord, um, and this slave that is near death, help us, talk to us by your Spirit. And through it all, Lord, help us become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we get into uh, chapter 7, a little background. If you want to go back to chapter 6, in Luke, you'll realize that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, and in it he talks about uh, we're blessed, blessed are the, are the poor. He talked about loving your enemies and on and on. And the hillside that he taught these very important verses to the people wasn't that far from Capernaum. So coming, coming into verse 1, um, we see he's back, he's back at Capernaum. Last Sunday we were in Capernaum. Uh, let, let's, let's take a look. Man, isn't, I love this picture. <laughs> this, is, this is Capernaum, and you can see all the, the sites where the houses used to be through uh, excavating and so on. Um, but look at the Sea of Galilee. And um, uh, before we get there, number one in your notes, the soldier, the soldier. Um, let's, let's read. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned where? He returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman soldier, officer, who was a centurion, was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, what happened? Well, we'll get there in a moment. So Capernaum was Jesus' home base for his ministry when he was uh, teaching uh, preaching, uh, going into different villages in this particular region, he'd, he'd kind of head back to, to Capernaum. And um, Capernaum was one of the largest cities located around the Sea of Galilee. And it was more than just a fishing village. Uh, it was an economic center of the region, and it sat nearby a major trade route. And so by this time, as last Sunday, Jesus' popularity was picking up. Uh, he, he was becoming very famous. Word was getting out about his teaching, about him healing the sick, about him setting people free from demonic power, etc. So Jesus had been going from town to town around that area, uh, teaching about his father and healing the sick. Now, this Roman officer, let's, let's take a look. This is uh, an artist's rendering of what a centurion looked like. Um, pretty intimidating if you ran into this guy uh, standing in line at Walmart, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would think so. So, um, 
He was a member of the Roman army, and, and the Roman army at this time in history was the most powerful military in the world, rank number one. And so they, this particular soldier, this centurion, he commanded 100 Roman soldiers. He was chosen to command these men because of his military experience, his skill with weapons, and the recommendation from other Roman officers. So he himself was responsible for the training and disciplining of these 100 men. And because of that responsibility, centurions were paid a lot of money. So we see in verses 2 and 3, news had made its way to this Roman officer that Jesus was in Capernaum. And we realize that this Roman soldier, this centurion, had a slave that was very close to him. He was so close to him that he had heard Jesus was in the area and he wanted Jesus to heal this slave. So in, the, in this culture, it's kind of it's weird because the Romans, man, they, they didn't think the slaves had any rights at all. If they were sick, they put them in a room, locked the door, and stopped feeding them. So they would ultimately die of starvation. That's what they did. But the Jewish historian Josephus wrote about there were Roman soldiers who had slaves that the centurions actually trained and fought with. And so this slave may have been the centurion's personal attendant. And of course, when you're on a battlefield, when you're preparing for battle, when you're coming off the battlefield, uh, there's some camaraderie, man, that really escalates. You feel like a team. You feel like a family because you fought together. This slave evidently had been on the battlefield with this centurion, and they developed a very close relationship because of it. That's why this centurion wanted Jesus to come and heal him. And so instead of putting this particular slave in a room and locking a door and starving him, what's he do? No, no, he, he goes after Jesus. And um, we'll see what Jesus does in just a moment. Number two, the elders have a request. Verse 3b, when the officer heard about Jesus... He sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. Now listen to this. If anyone deserves your help, as they talk to Jesus, he does. For he loves the Jewish people, and he even built a synagogue for us. And so when this soldier had heard that Jesus was in the neighborhood, uh, he got a hold of these Jewish elders and said, hey, will you guys go and find Jesus and invite him to come to my house to heal my slave? And so you kind of get an idea of the way these Jewish elders are talking about this centurion back to Jesus. Um, notice he, they earnestly begged Jesus. They didn't just ask him. They're begging him. And they don't stop there. L listen to what they do. They're Anybody who's deserving your help, he does. For he loves the Jewish people, and he even built a synagogue for us. The elders 
pick up the tab that he is so deserving. Now listen, this is kind of a trap that you and I can fall into so easily. We, we kind of get the scales out, and let's say this side is the good stuff, and this side is the bad stuff, and so we think and we rationalize in our heads, man, if, if I can do so much good stuff that outweighs the bad stuff, then I deserve to get into heaven. That's what the Jewish elders, that's how they thought. Everything was external, man. It's how you looked. If you looked spiritual, if you sounded spiritual, that's what was most important to them. And so they're falling into that trap, and they're, listen to how they're, they're communicating to Jesus. You know, Yeah, this man deserves it. He's a good man. He's done this, this, and this. And, and the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff. So these Jewish elders um, kind of fall into line with uh, every time they went to church, every time they went to the synagogue, they tried to look impressive, you know, always coming up with the right answers. It's kind of like the young boy who always went to Sunday school every Sunday, and one Sunday his teacher asked, uh, what is brown furry, has a long tail, and stores up nuts for the winter? And uh, the boy muttered back, I guess the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> you see, this boy figured every question that he gets in Sunday school has got to, you know, Jesus has to be the answer. And that's the same way the Jewish elders thought, man. They thought, man, if we always give the right answer or what the answer should be or looks like, uh, we'll get a pat on the back. And isn't that an easy trap to fall into? It sure is. You bet it is. So that's how these religious elders live their lives. You know, always sounding so spiritual. Always looking, you know, spiritual. That's too bad. It's too bad. Before the 17th century, when people looked at a lake or a glass of water, they judged it by the ability to be able to see through it. You know, that's how... They thought the water was clean. But in 1674, there was a Dutchman, Anton uh, Leeuwenhoek, who filled a vial with water and put it under his microscope. And when he w looked at that microscope lens, he said, I saw very many small animalcules, <laughs> kind of like those gizmos up on the screen right now, you know, um, to the natural eye, you can't see those animuscules, can you? No, you can't. But when you put it under a microscope, boom, all this dirty stuff starts to show up. That's kind of what, you know, the, the Jewish elders on the outside, they look nice and clean. But, hey, when we start examining ourselves against God's Word, when we look at the life of Christ, He's our example. Not ourselves, not other people that we may esteem. Our example is Jesus, and he's perfect. And so we model our lives. We, we train ourselves to follow after Christ. And so um, Christmas, well, let's see. Christmas is like seven months away. It's right around the corner. And, you know, Santa has that naughty or nice list. And, and that's exactly what the Jewish elders had in their mind. 
There was a naughty list and a nice list. A lot of us carry lists in our lives too, don't we? We, we make decisions. We, we live our lives in such a way uh, we're going to try and impress Jesus, man, with all the good stuff over here instead of very simply putting our faith in Christ. Whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. That's how you put your faith in Christ. Whoever believes in me. It doesn't say if you do enough good stuff, you know, if the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, that's how you're going to get into heaven. So many people think like that. My good stuff outweighs the bad stuff. I deserve to get to heaven. Mm -mm. It's not what the Bible says. So you see this little incident happening right before us. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Isaiah 64.6, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So when Jesus is listening to these Jewish elders, when they're trying to pump up this Roman centurion in front of him. You know, he does this and this and this, and he deserves you to come to his house. No, Jesus knows better than that. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the standard. So don't try and impress God with, you know, doing stuff, the good. You know, you work your whole life trying to be good. You, you can't do it. And when you stand before God one day, it's, it's not enough because in God's eyes, everything good that we think we're doing, it's like filthy rags to him. So I want to encourage you, put your faith, your trust in Jesus, just like he said. Number three, Jesus goes. What does he do when these Jewish elders are trying to impress this you know, centurion's life in front of him? And Jesus could have just said, hey, guys, you're missing the boat. You know, he could have just had a little seminar on the side of the road before he takes off. You know what, guys, I'm not going to waste my time. No, he doesn't do that. 6a, so Jesus went with them. Isn't that incredible? Jesus went with them. These men, these religious dudes who thought they were so cool and spiritual, can I tell you something? Jesus goes. Do you realize that Jesus left heaven to come to earth, to walk among us, to die on a cross for your sin and my sin? Yeah, he went. He left heaven, came to earth. And here we see that same heart of Christ following these Jewish elders who think they are so spiritual. Jesus goes. And I love this um, in number four. The friends intercept Jesus. So Jesus is on his way with the, with the uh, Jewish elders. The Roman centurion has a change of heart. Look at verse 6b. But just before they arrived at the house, I wonder if the Roman centurion had a little tracking device in his iPhone. <laughs> He knew these guys were getting close. And he started to get nervous. And the officer sent some friends. So he sends the Jewish elders first. 
Eh, then he changed his mind. Then he's got some friends. He calls them up and says, hey, can you, can, can you intercept these, these Jewish elders before they get to my house with Jesus? Well, check this out. The officer sent some friends to say, what does he say? Lord. Lord. Where does that come from? Lord. Master. Leader. I'm humbling myself before you, Lord. Check it out. Don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. So when you look, when you look at the, the Jewish elders who are puffing this guy up in front of Jesus, this Roman centurion is looking deep inside and he's realizing, wow, Jesus is holy. He's perfect. And I'm not. I don't have it together. And so he changes his mind. So he gets another group of friends and intercepts these Jewish elders and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, I, I, I can't have you come to my house. Now listen, listen. I think, I think God's doing something inside this Roman centurion. He, he's doing some serious thinking. And he's realizing who Jesus is. I love it. I love it, friend, because... God is always working in your life, whether you feel like it or not. If you have rejected him over and over again, he keeps pursuing you. He keeps coming after you. And I think that's exactly what's going on here with this Roman centurion. The Jewish elders, man, they, they, they carried Time magazine, and, the, and this Roman centurion's face was on the cover, you know, man of the year. Look at Jesus, man of the year. Does that impress you? And Jesus wasn't impressed. And honestly, the Roman centurion wasn't that impressed either because he knew deep down what he was like. Sometimes we disappoint ourselves most, don't we? Why? Because we fall into traps of sin. Sin may have a hook in us, and we keep living a life of defeat. That's not what Jesus wants. So, we see, sub-point one, the soldier says he's not worthy. Verse 6b, just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to, to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my house, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. And so, the closer, the closer Jesus came to the centurion's home, the more unworthy he felt, just like it, you might feel the same way. I'm telling you, I've seen, this, I've seen this throughout my life where Jesus is moving closer and closer. People are embracing, yes, I want, I, I'm, I'm hungering for, for Jesus to make a change in my life. There's movement. Jesus is so close and all of a sudden, boom, they abort the mission. Because Jesus is he's getting too close. And they think they've got to clean up their life before they invite Jesus in. Can I tell you that's not the way it needs to be? Just as I am, I come to you, Jesus. With every bit of garbage in my life, I come and 
I am unholy, I am unworthy, and when I put my faith in you, Jesus, you will forgive me. And you'll make me clean. So many people, man, they get nervous when Jesus gets close and they run away and they go back to the way they were living before. In Luke 5, 31, 32, Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. There you go. Friend, you cannot clean yourself up ahead of time. You can't do it. You come with everything you have, all the sin, all the darkness from your past. You come, and Jesus forgives you. He sets you free because of the blood that he shed on the cross. So grateful for that. And we see that um, the Lord, the Lord is moving in this man's life. Number two, Jesus, he says, just say the word. Verse 7b. Look, look, at, look at the movement that's going on inside the centurion's life. And really, just a small amount of time, man, the Spirit of God is working in him. He says, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I love it. He doesn't even see Jesus. He doesn't, you know, some people thought they had to touch the hem of his garment to be healed. Um, Whatever the case may be, this man recognizes the authority of Jesus so much that he said, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are God. All you have to do, you don't even have to come to my house. You just speak the word. And friend, just like you and I today, we don't see Jesus in the flesh. He's here among us. We can, we're just like that centurion. Jesus, just speak the word. That's all you have to do, Jesus. And you can bring life change. Number three, the soldier knows about authority. Look at verse eight. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. Man, this is so good because here, You have a Roman centurion, the strongest, most intimidating army in the world. And in Rome, you have Caesar, Emperor Caesar, that you swore allegiance to. And here, this centurion recognizes. You know what? Emperor Caesar, he's not all who he's cut off to be, man. You know? Yeah, people say he's great and mighty, but no, he's not God. I recognize that. Jesus, you are God. I'm a soldier in this great army, and all I have to do is tell my men to go, and they go. I tell my slaves to do this, they do this. And Jesus, just say the word, and it's going to happen. He's under authority, and he recognizes that Jesus recognizes that chain of authority as well. And then, number five, Jesus in a wow moment. This is so cool. Look at verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. (laughs) This centurion 
Everything was going his way. Think about it. He was loved in Capernaum. The Jewish community loved him. In fact, he built a synagogue for him. Had a great relationship. He had had wealth. He had popularity. But took a crisis where his beloved slave was near death, that he got desperate enough to go after Jesus. Even in this COVID-19, man, where it's messing you up, God's trying to get your attention. You you can call it a crisis, you can call it whatever it is, but it's an opportunity for you to call on the name of Jesus. It sure is. And it's a wow moment. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And this Roman centurion is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. How can that be? There was such a desire in the centurion to know about Jesus and finally to put his faith in Christ. And Jesus was wowed by that. Now we see at the flip side in Mark 6, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, the town he grew up in. And you would think, oh, Jesus, yeah, we know Jesus, man. He is awesome. Just like the Jewish elders were talking about the Roman centurion. No, no, no. No, in Nazareth, look at verse 3, they scoffed. The people from Nazareth scoffed. He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And that wasn't the end of it. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They were offended by Jesus. Why? Because they knew him. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. You see, there's two examples where Jesus gets amazed in the Gospels. The one is, he's amazed at great faith and he's amazed at unbelief. Which side do you tip on? Hmm? Is, there, is there great faith in your life? Is there that growing faith in your life that Jesus is amazed that that's happening in your life? Or is there unbelief? Eh, you get your, you know, feel sorry for yourself and God's forgotten about me and I don't think God can do this in my life. We come up with all these excuses. Man, do not cause Jesus to be amazed at your lack of of faith. Pursue him. Pursue him. Man, that's, that's the heart of God. And we see in Romans 10, 17, where does faith come from? It's, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. What's that about? Faith comes from hearing God's word. Faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. That's where faith comes from. You've got to read your Bible, man, to build your faith. If you're not reading your Bible, I'm telling you, your faith is going to shrink up and wither away. But by reading your Bible consistently, that faith's going to grow. It's so cool. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. That's what God's word is. 
It gives you direction. It gives you wisdom. It gives you counsel. It's just like a GPS, a spiritual GPS. That's God's word. You know what I like about GPSs? If I've never been somewhere before, I don't know about you, I hate getting lost, man. I hate it. I can feel my insides doing jumping jacks upside down. Terrible, man. It's a terrible feeling. I don't know where to go. I'm lost. Oh, I hate it. But with a GPS, I go someplace where I've never been before. Guess what? It gives me directions on how to get there. Just like in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Isn't that cool? And here's the cool thing with that GPS. If I get lost, you know, I make the wrong turn, that little voice in the box doesn't say, stupid, and they just shut down. No, no, no. No, that, that voice will come back on and say, rerouting, <laughs> and give you a fresh batch of directions to get you back on track again. Listen, when we make wrong choices and we get off that path from time to time, God does not scream stupid at you. No. He reroutes you back to him. Why? Because he loves you. That's why. And number six, Jesus heals on time. Jesus heals on time. You know, Jesus is always on time. We have, we have our time frame, you know, when we think God should do this, this, and this. We have it all on a calendar, you know. No, Jesus is always on time. Look at this. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. You know, want to know something? Jesus didn't even have to speak a word. It doesn't, it doesn't record it. Luke doesn't record that he said anything. Um, he didn't go. He didn't touch this man. He didn't offer a prayer. Nope, didn't do that either. He didn't do anything outwardly, but he healed this slave. Because when the friends got back to the centurion's house, the slave was up running around. Whew. Jesus healed this man to show that community, to show the Jewish elders that he was the Son of God. He was who he said he was. And so in the face of this slave's illness, the soldiers' power, wealth, and influence, they were worthless. I'm sure the centurion tried everything and came up empty. And finally he went to Jesus, and Jesus answered his prayer. That soldier found Jesus, and Jesus found him. His faith was a wow moment. Seventy-five years ago this month, Germany surrendered World War II. At the war's beginning, the world thought there was no country that could ever defeat this country. But in May 1945, Germany surrendered unconditionally. Now, prior to May, Germany was trying to negotiate, um, we'll have some conditions in our surrender. But the Allied forces got together and they said, no, no, we want an unconditional surrender. In other words, no hoops you can jump through. This morning, 
You can call this a white flag. You can call it whatever, whatever you want. But a white flag on a battlefield means you surrender. You give up. And just like Germany so many years ago, this great powerhouse standing alone against the world, they surrendered. You know, this morning, the great love of God is coming after you. And he's desiring, Jesus is desiring that you surrender. You pull out that white flag of your life. And maybe, maybe there's been some conditions in your life. You know, Jesus, I'll live for you, but I'm going to keep doing this, this, and this. Those conditions. No, Jesus is saying, I need an unconditional surrender. I need you to pull out that white flag and surrender your life to me. And so... Romans 6, 19 says, just as you used to be slaves to all kinds of sin, just like this slave to the Roman centurion, Paul writes, you used to be slaves to all kinds of sin, so now you must let yourselves be slaves to all that is right and holy. Yeah. So you surrender the way you want to live your life to the fact you become a slave to Jesus. Let him live his life through you. That's what he wants because he loves you. And so this morning, man, I would just like to encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can say, Lord, I'm surrendering to you unconditionally. I'm raising the white flag in my life. I'm calling it quits. I've been running my life the way I wanted to, and I'm coming up empty all the time. And so, Jesus, I surrender. And by surrendering to you, guess what? I realize that you will bring victory in my life. Surrendering to you is not defeat. Surrendering to you will bring victory in my life. That's pretty cool. And so this morning, Lord, as we talk to him in that moment of surrender, Lord, forgive me for living my life the way I want to run it. I know there's a spiritual death penalty for living my life the way I want to, but I realize that you died on the cross for my sins. Not only did you die for my sins, but on that third day you came and walked out of the grave. And so today, Lord, I'm surrendering. I'm going to stop running my own life, my sinful choices. And I'm going to hold on to you like you are my only hope, which you are. So I believe right now, Lord, you've become my personal Savior. And all my sins are forgiven through your precious blood. I will live for you, Lord, the rest of my life by the power of your Spirit. So thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, if you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life and you surrender to him, we celebrate with you. And I want to encourage you to go to lifechurchmh.com, contact us. By doing so, we will get you information on what it means to be a follower of Christ and how you can grow in your faith with him. Yeah, we encourage you to do that. So thanks for watching this morning. God bless you. Have a great day.